welcome to the uh, Preach What You Practice podcast. I'm here with uh, somebody who really inspires me. Uh, she's a fantastic theologian um, and author. Uh, she's the dean of the university that I study at, WTC. Uh, it's Lucy Pepiat. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Josh. Thanks. <laughs> I'm actually the principal. Sorry. When you came, I probably was the dean. <laughs> Are you the principal? I am. Well, either way, she, she's the top dog. She's the big <laughs> boss. She's the one that walks in the room and everyone gets scared. And then she smiles and everyone's okay. So <laughs> could you uh, share a little bit about um, yourself, maybe some of your kind of how you've got through your theological study and then what you're doing with WTC and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, I started uh, in study. I started studying actually when I decided in my mid-twenties that I thought God was calling me to be a lay preacher. Um, I in the Church of England, so I was married to, I am married to someone who was ordained in the Church of England. So I did the sort of lay preachers training, um, which was very part-time, just a, li a little bit of theology really. And I enjoyed that and I started preaching quite a lot. We moved to um, Zimbabwe. We absolutely loved that. I took over leading a congregation out there. And then I kind of got halfway through that and I thought, I really don't think I know enough to be preaching. I, and I was listening to my husband who had done all his Anglican training, you know, which was quite, you know, it's quite detailed. And, um, and also he's just absolutely loves the Bible and just studies the Bible all the time. And so I felt really challenged that if I wanted to be a teacher of the word and a preacher that I should learn. And so in my 30s, I did a degree in theology, then I did a master's and then I did a PhD because <clears throat> I just found as well as the teaching and the preaching, which I loved and I still love, I found I absolutely loved theology and I just... I was like, just couldn't get enough. It was, I was like a sort of kid in a sweet shop, really, once I'd started learning um, the Bible and learning about God and, um, and being able to explore ancient texts and um, to study the Greek. And yeah, I just, I, I loved it. So kept going and then was incredibly fortunate um, to be in a particular place at a particular time where they needed some help at WTC, so I stepped in to help, literally, and um, ended up being the principal, which is a kind of, it's a whole God story on its own, and it was a wonderful story um, of me not ever expecting that I would ever run a college or do anything like I'm doing, and it just, God took me from one little thing that I could cope with at a time to then actually leading um, a college, which again, I really love and is a huge privilege. That's amazing. And I'm coming into my final year of studying on the BA at least, and I wanna go further in that and I'm really excited to do that. And one of the things I always share about WTC is that we do actually have a woman who leads kind of, obviously you've got your trustees and stuff, but you lead this kind of theological teaching um, which actually is, I, I think, in terms of the idea of 
some people think it's controversial or or anything like that to have a kind of woman in a leadership role in church I actually think in some ways what you're doing is is perhaps even more so because it's you know it's a direct teaching of of the word mm. uh, in that in that kind of arena and um back in january on our last residential we had a, a really awesome just prophetic moment i think uh, in the worship where uh, a lady got down and basically she was quite a new christian which i thought was <laughs> so her communication was brilliant and brutal at the same time but i was at the back like yes um and she kind of came down and just you know just shared from her heart about how awful she thought it was that she'd been a christian for a little bit and she had she hadn't realized that um some christians didn't believe that women could lead and, and she was just saying how ridiculous it was and and it was just such brilliant language and she ended up buying a load of your books didn't she for for everybody and <laughs> sending them around all yeah. the pubs and um so we are going to discuss your book a little bit today um, sort of talks about women and, and worship in, in Paul's writing to the Corinthians. Um, I've, I've read it and reread it, and it's, it's one of those books that you have to, you know, it's, it's a little bit like a Bible commentary in some ways, as well as, as, well as a book I find. You know, you're looking at the, some of the texts that are quite difficult in 1 Corinthians, you know, mm. 11 and, and 14. And actually, you can just you can just jump in at little sections with within the book. Um, but yeah, do, do you remember when that lady got down and, and said all that stuff? I do. I'll never forget it. I, I was I had no idea what she was about to do. And um, she she stood up and she said, I just want to share something. She told me she'd wanted to give a bit of a testimony about women and that she wanted to encourage people to read my book. In fact, she said, I want to tell people to read your book. Not I've just made that sound a bit nice. Like you say, she's very, very blunt and just says it like so she said I want to stand up and tell everyone they should buy your book and read it so I was like well that's very nice of you but I don't you know so she and so she did but then what she hadn't told me she was going to do was she gave me a thousand pounds for a hundred copies of my book and so not only she wasn't really just saying to people you need to buy the book and read it she was buying it for them which I, I mean I cried I I thought it was absolutely extraordinary I've never had anything like that in my life so yeah it was wonderful and I had I had a hundred copies so I sold them to her and then they went out into our hubs so people at WTC I think most not, not everyone obviously because there's 200 students but a lot of people received a free copy well, I bought mine because oh <laughs> as soon as I heard about it, you know, I wanted, I wanted to hear, obviously, you know, that my, my dad is, it's a major area of interest for him and mm. something that he passed really down to me in many ways. And my first daughter is called Liberty for, mm. for that reason, you mm. know, and I, I share this story a lot after we called her Liberty. Um, one of the first, or I think the first bishop in the Anglican Church was named, uh, was, was, uh, and she was a woman. The first mm. uh, female bishop had, had got that position. And it was in Stockport where we live. And her name was Libby. And it was like, oh, yes. 
Yes, it was, yeah. Libby Lane and it was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And yeah. um, it, it brings me to something that I read early on in your book. Um, you talk about um, we, need to, we need to kind of discuss and, and give reasons for why Paul seems to encourage women to pray and prophesy in public worship. And then at, sort of at the same time, there's, there's passages about women needing to, to stay silent. Mm. And, and that's kind of what you're, you're, you're doing in the book a little bit is you're kind of saying, well, there's all these areas and all these places where Paul encourages women. And, and in fact, on, on one of the pages, you give a huge list of all the places in Paul's writing where women lead within church. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you present is this idea of a rhetorical reading of the difficult text. I just wonder if you could share a little bit about kind of what you mean by that term and, and for the people who, who maybe haven't read the book, what, what kind of a rhetorical reading of, of the Bible kind of means and, and, and of First Corinthians. Yeah, so um, you're right that what, one of the things that troubled me um, was, it was partly the women issue, obviously, but actually a lot of it was to do with the fact that I, I thought that what it did was portray Paul as very contradictory. Mm. So it was in a funny way. I was, it, I be, it began by slightly being more troubled by that um, than, than the women issue. But then because it was always over women, it became more that as well. Mm. So I wanted to dig into this question of what I see as contradictory data and evidence. And um, a lot of Bible scholars have, have lots of opinions, obviously. And so um, some people think that if you come across those kind of contradictions, you just have to live with them. You know, you just sit with them with the, the sort of, on the one hand, he says this, on the other hand, he says that. So sometimes they, people will try and minimize the contradiction and say, well, it's not really a contradiction. It's just a tension in his thought or that maybe, you know, at one point he was saying, oh yeah, women can do all of this. And then at other points in his ministry, he was saying, oh no, they can't. Um, or that it was a mission principle that he decided, oh, we don't want people to think that the women are really uppity or aggressive or, you know, um, above their station. So he, he gave them a lot of freedom and then he reined them in, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, so scholars try and make sense of it and some people think it they're blatant contradictions and other people think that they try and sort of you know make it less that than that and um i read them and i think they are real contradictions and that they pop up randomly so there's not really a pattern of saying oh yes you can see this trajectory in his thought um, one way or another and so other scholars who I think are kind of more honest about the contradictions say well if you what if you leave them as contradictions he's really double-minded you know he's like on the one hand he's saying one thing and on the other he really is saying the opposite so I'm not comfortable with that and I find that really difficult and also I think it's been the cause of putting women in terrible positions you know for centuries and when I look at other aspects of Paul's writing and ministry, I felt like the dominant message was freedom. Mm-hmm. So the, 
the, the other messages we have to try and do something with. So what do we do with them? And I know that, you know, people like um, you and your dad and I mean, hundreds and thousands of Christians throughout the ages have thought that, have intuited and believed that the, the dominant, the predominant message of Paul's writings following the gospels which are about Jesus is about this kind of form of freedom for men and women and people of different economic backgrounds and even slave and free which he talks about which is a fascinating question um, but probably not one for tonight um, that, that so then what do we do with these difficult passages so then i came to the particularly the one in 1 corinthians 11 which is about head coverings um some people think it's about hairstyle i think it really is about head coverings um and uh and it feels as if paul is if you think it's paul that he's really making a very um strong and coercive argument about women not being able to be in a public assembly unless they cover their heads and if they don't they should there's some kind of punishment really in a way and that just doesn't sit well uh with me and many many other people and so i studied one corinthians for a long time and i came to a moment and it was literally a moment where i was i was thinking and thinking thinking and praying praying and i just thought what is going on and then i thought what what if the problem here that paul has is with the men and not with the women so what what if he's trying to deal with a problem in the corinthian congregation that the men are instigating and not the women because everyone assumes it's the women they're being troublesome they're taking off their head coverings they're causing problems they're causing shame and i was like what if it's the men who think that the women are behaving shamefully but paul doesn't think they are so what would the passage look like if that was going on and I just thought so what happened was it was it was a bit of a sort of moment where it was like it felt like an aha moment and I started to then explore the passage as if it might be a conversation between Paul and these opponents of his or these people he disagreed with these people he wanted to set right because we know that in the whole letter there are other instances of that so this is a letter to the people that he's trying to correct i mean that's the big picture and, yeah. and we know in one corinthians that there are quotations from them and references to what they've already written to him and so i was like well what if that's going on in this passage as well as in six and eight and other places in 14 so i played with it and um and then i researched more and i found that there were other scholars in the world who had also seen that and um so i'm definitely not the first person i'm not the only person mm -hmm. um i think currently i'm the only person who's written on the three passages that i've written on in this one book women and worship because i see a pattern 
in those three places. Um, but again, I found as I researched the other th two, that there are other scholars who've also written and said, oh, we think Paul's in a conversation here. So that's the, that's the label that scholars give it, the rhetorical argument. It's literally, it is really just a conversation between him and people he's trying to correct. And when you see it like that, it doesn't, it, to be honest, it's not like perfect, 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 mm. but it does solve every problem that you have with the passage being contradictory. And so I think it gets you a hugely long way in understanding what's going on. Sure. That's really good. Thanks for explaining that. Um, there's a few things that I was thinking as, as you were just saying that, and I was thinking about that shift from the problem being with the women and actually maybe the problems with the men. Mm. I was thinking actually most of Jesus's problems were with with men <laughs> like when he when he was on the earth he seemed to have a really good encounters with with women who would you know quite readily accept who he was mm. and and worship him and and esteem him to be who who he was and in fact he even revealed his resurrected self you know firstly to mm. to women mm -hmm. and so I actually thought, you know, Paul's a little bit further on in sort of time, but I can't imagine that women will have, women might have gained that much status mm. to have been able to be so disruptive. Mm. So there's that thought I was having. I was also thinking about um, this idea that Paul was steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. You know, he, he, he even says himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And actually, we read a lot in, in the Old Testament, this kind of, they're not afraid to write these sort of really kind of out there sort of statements. It makes me think of Psalm 138 that ends where it says, blessed is the one who bashes the head of an infant against the rock. And then the next passage is, uh, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in, in your mother's womb. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, well, hang on, is it, is it you know, should we be, a baby's beautiful and, and really amazing or are they, should, are you blessed to just bash their heads against a rock? You know, the Hebrew scriptures are not afraid to, to just put views out there to perhaps expose people's hearts, expose certain views to then perhaps make you think, oh, actually, is this a right way of, of thinking? And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on in particular on this subject is part of my struggle is when, when I've been outspoken about sort of women being in leadership, I, I tend to be criticized for what some people might think is a low, a lower view of scripture. Right. Well, actually I love what you were saying about how your journey was actually, you were led in because you have a high view of scripture. Mm. You, you know, you don't want it to seem as if Paul's contradicting himself which that's, that's kind of, um, that's a criticism that often comes from atheists and non-believers that the Bible mm. contradicts itself. So mm. to have a high view of scripture, you would want to defend the fact that, no, it doesn't, it, you know, there's just a different way of, of mm. reading it. And um, one of the things I talk um, to my dad a lot about is this idea of before we get into the culture and the context and things that were going on, 
let's take the scripture at face value. You know, let's look at the scripture and see if there's anything more to just, you know, that first reading, that first shock of, <gasps> are women supposed to be silent? You know, is there anything there? And you, you talk about it in your book. You say um, there's the subtle elements of the right teachings amongst the wrong teachings. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm just wondering if you see any of that in First Corinthians um, 14 specifically, where it says, let the women be silent, because in First Timothy 2, my dad pulls one out where he says, well, actually, in the scripture before silencing women, it says, let the women learn. And yeah. there's, there's that idea of a subtle element of the right teaching amongst, mm. amongst mm. the perhaps wrong. I just wonder if you see anything looking at the scripture at face value, anything in, in 1 Corinthians that you're like, oh, there's this verse that actually, if you just read it sort of literally or plainly, whatever you want, however you want to say it. Mm. I think um, more in 1 Corinthians 11. So, so 1 Corinthians 14, um, what you're referring to at the, the end is yeah. where um, it's a very strange little sort of insertion yeah. uh, there at the end about um, women. And it says, as in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak it should be subject or subordinate or in submission as the law also says um, if there's anything they desire to know let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church and i i actually think that whole section there is paul citing the corinthians view about women so part of their the what they're enforcing upon the women is this subjection and silence and then if they do it's actually i think that's married women obviously because he talks about husbands so um they talk about husbands um but that so some are allowed to prophesy if they have a head covering but women really are being treated quite badly in this church and um so that I think is is all something that Paul disagrees with, and then he shoots back at them a rhetorical question: um, Did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only ones it's reached? So I think they were um, not only were they enforcing women to to wear head coverings and be subordinate. Um, but they had a whole theology about it. And I think they were presenting it as a kind of, you know, we've heard from God, this is the prophetic word God is saying, which, you know, that is um, weirdly familiar, isn't it? I mean, it's, I, I think that was something to do with what was going on. But in 11, it's, it's different. It's a long, long passage about men and women and God and Christ and, relationships and um i think in that passage it's it's more a question of sort of teasing out the the kind of ideas that paul is using and then their ideas and how he's counteracting their ideas but things like um where he starts with uh, but i wanted you to have understood that christ is the head 
of I, I think it's the husband there probably we can't tell because the word for man and husband is the same yeah greek um uh, and so in my version of the bible that i've got here in the nrsv they hedge their bets so they say um but i want you to understand uh, that christ is the head of every man and the husband is the head of his wife um so that's a bit muddled actually it, i think it would make more sense to say that Christ is the head of every husband and the husband is the head of his wife. And we know that that is a Pauline idea, or it seems to have come from Paul, this, this idea that he, uh, well, the idea that the husband is the head of the wife is an ancient idea. So that's not, that's not Paul. He's describing a situation. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that Christ is the head of the husband is obviously a Christian innovation. It's a Christian um reframing of this head of the household idea head of the wife yeah. so Paul that's what Paul does I mean it's fascinating so he takes the ancient idea that the man is the head the kephale of the of the household and of his wife and all the all the people in his household all the women and he says yes but Christ is the kephale of that of that person of that husband and so that then changes everything about who that man is um, mm -hmm. because he has a master over him mm -hmm. uh, and I think that so so I think that's a an I it's a Pauline idea but Paul is reframing it in this passage and in Ephesians and he he reframes it um, here by going on to talk to them in verse 11 and 12 about the interdependence of man and woman and husband and wife together. Um, and that there isn't this idea that, you know, women just come from men and dependent on them and were created for them. And he's saying, no, you know, just as um, woman came from man, so man comes from woman. So you, you know, you can't be separate from each other. You're dependent on each other. Yeah, sure. And if, if Christ is my head, then I follow in his, in his footsteps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what's difficult for us moderns is that there's definitely, there is a hierarchy that he's working with. Um, and in, in the modern day, it, it, that does seem very archaic um but the encouraging thing i think for for everyone is that he sub, he while while maintaining a hierarchy on one on the one hand he totally subverts it on the other so he does he does do two things at once which is a very powerful statement about what he thinks the role of the husband is yeah sure and then obviously I think you have to then move beyond just reading the scripture at face value and looking for those right teachings amongst the wrong. And yeah. Start to move into the culture and the, the context of, mm -hmm. of sort of what's going on. And um, I've been reading a book by a guy called Tom Holland. He's a historian. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, um, he's not actually a Christian, but he's, he's written this new book called Dominion, sort of, a, he's a historian and he, he's sort of tracking sort of Christian ideas through history. And a lot of what he says, you know, about us now as, as moderns, um, is that a lot of our 
you know, sort of societal values of act- are actually just thoroughly Christian mm. <laughs> ideas. Mm. And, and um, you know, so, but I, I guess when it comes to scripture, we've, we've taken things like Galatians 3.28 as a, as a sort of, you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no slave mm. or free or man or woman. We're all sort of equal. That's, that's just kind of shot through like a spear through, through history to, to where mm. we are now. And so it's actually easy to look at a scripture like that and, mm. and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's totally right. But without any knowledge of the culture or the context behind it, it's quite hard to look at 1 Corinthians 11 or 1 Corinthians 14 mm. because it's, it's very dissimilar to what <laughs> we have right now. So I just wonder if you could finish by perhaps just giving us um, sort of a helpful interpretation. Because in your book, it does talk a lot about 1 Corinthians 11. I just wondered mm. if you had a, a helpful interpretation for 1 Corinthians 34 and 35 that you read out before. Because it is... The 14. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, yeah. 34 to 35. It's a similar passage to what I looked at with my dad in 1 Timothy mm. Uh, you propose that there's quite a different problem going on in Corinth. You were saying about, you know, perhaps the men with a with a problem there. But I just mm-hmm. wonder if you could give us maybe a helpful interpretation of that scripture. Well, I think that so in women and worship, uh, what I do is I I lay out three different passages, and one is one Corinthians eleven two to sixteen. One's one Corinthians fourteen twenty to twenty five which is the passage on speaking in tongues and prophecy, where Paul um, actually literally contradicts himself, which is really interesting. I mean, it, in a funny way, it's it's sort of more fascinating um, than, than 14, than later on in 14. Um, and so, so what happens is there's this pattern of statements being made that sound like they are then quickly contradicted mm-hmm. and there's a rhetorical argument uh, sorry rhetorical question mm-hmm. and in 1433 to 36 that the same thing happens so there's this statement about women because they should stay silent as the law says well the law doesn't say so we're you know we're stuck on that one and um but it does fit in well if you think that there's a group of domineering men who are forcing women to to uh do certain things and stay quiet and then paul responds to their statement by saying did the word of god originate with you and um and he comes back at them and actually he he comes back at them very strongly um and so at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, well, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 11, um, 16, he said to them, um, we have no such custom and neither do any of the churches of God. So, and I think that, that, that the no such custom that he's talking about is putting women in head coverings, you know, universally. So I, obviously there were women who wore veils in church that's that's not disputed but the question is whether they were being forced to right uh, um and not everyone in the ancient world not all women did wear veils and not all men would have been made to uncover anyway so he has a forceful sort of statement at the end there 
Um, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And I think there's a similar tone in what he's responding here when he says, or did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. So he, I think what he's doing is saying, look, you guys are so uh, full of yourselves with your prophecies and your spiritual powers. And you think you're so wonderful. You know, you've got this angelic status. You've he heard from God and you're, you're doing all these things, but you're way off the rails on some things. And if anyone is really spiritual, you know, really prophetic, then you'll you'll realize that what I'm teaching is the truth. So that's what I, that's what I think he's doing there. That's amazing. Well, thanks so much, Lucy, for all of that. And I'm going to drop a, a link to um, WTC so people can find out more if they want to think about studying there. And um, I'll also put a link to the book so people can read further. But uh, thanks so much for joining me today. No, that's supposed, and also just my one other book, Rediscovering Scripture's Vision yes. for Women, yeah. is is that so? That's the latest book, and that covers all the passages on women in the New Testament. And if women in worship is a bit heavy for some people, because it is quite an academic book, yeah. there's a simple version of what I've studied in One Corinthians eleven in Unveiling Paul's Women. So those, those in there too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. it's lovely to chat to you, Josh. Yeah, thanks so much.